Hi, everybody. My name is Hafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. Cultural Intelligence Today we have a very special topic to talk about. Cultural Intelligence We'd like to follow up on a couple of subjects we had a chance to explore here at Translation Confessional. In Season 2, we had Episode 12, Languages and Personalities, an illuminating interview with Sonia de Martino, an Italian translator living and working in Spain, who shared her own experiences as a multilingual person and talked a bit about her thesis on linguistic relativity. And, in Season 2, Episode 34, The Language of Affection, we featured audio clips from several language professionals who shared amusing and touching anecdotes about their bilingual interactions with family and friends. In today's episode, we'd like to go a step further into how language is part of a bigger picture when it comes to interacting with people from a different background. Yes, it's important to communicate well when speaking your own language or the language of others. However, effective communication isn't about language skills alone. Cultural aspects also come into play when expressing yourself and understanding the people you are talking to. It isn't just about words, it's about everything that is hidden behind those words, which is closely tied to someone's cultural background, including unique personal experiences and collective knowledge of their surroundings. In order to introduce this fascinating topic, we'd like to read an article titled, Brazilian Emotional Intelligence, Affection, Language, and the Intricacies of Belonging, written by Adrian Sweetwater and Mariana Bajos, partners at a company called Diffahans, which offers intercultural consulting services to companies and expatriates who must not only cross geographical borders, but bridge gaps between different cultures as well. After the break, We'll read the article to give you more context, and then jump right into Hoffa's conversation with Adrian and Mariana, who will explain a bit more about cultural intelligence. I was so organized before the pandemic. I had the best of both worlds, work and family life. After lockdown began, I lost my way. Because I worked for myself, I went into business survivor mode. After all, where else would I go besides my home office? The gym was closed. There were no more afternoon escapes for lunch and a movie. There was this uncertainty in the air. Will clients disappear? When will the next project come in? We didn't know how long the pandemic would last, and the new normal seemed to have come to stay. Then I took two weeks off for spring break to enjoy a much-needed vacation, and that's when I realized I can't go back to that crazy work routine anymore. I need to find the balance that I had before. But how could I break all of the bad habits that seemed to become the norm in the early 2020? Well, it turns out that I just needed a little push. And believe me, I thought it wasn't going to work. But after doing this for a few weeks now and creating a new routine, I feel much more in control. I feel centered. So if you are having problems as a freelancer trying to go back to being productive and organized and having a life, there's a place you can go without leaving your home office, where you can find structure in an intuitive and pleasant way. We can all meet there and focus together, but apart. Distant, but connected. 
It's a place where you can sit down, get to work, take breaks, and when you're done with your projects and tasks, you get to just walk away. Check out the link in the description to find out what worked for me and may work for you too if you're trying to find your focus. Come get centered with me and kick that pandemic funk off your freelancing life. Brazilian Emotional Intelligence, Affection, Language, and the Intricacies of Belonging by Adrian Sweetwater and Mariana Bajos Philosophically speaking, the Enlightenment period and values never exactly made it into Brazilian people's hearts. But what does it have to say about the Brazilian emotional intelligence shared as a culture? It's safe to argue that large, rational, logical, objective long-term thinking, and a control over nature orientation, are not necessarily part of the Brazilian cultural mindset. Instead, Brazilian cultural values are centered around relationships, affection, emotion, and living in the present moment. Foreigners who spend a significant time in Brazil, whether they liked the experience or not, often say that the greatest lesson they learned was getting reconnected to their heart and a little disconnected from their reason, or, at least, that they learn to accept that logic shouldn't always be the main factor in decision-making. In the words of Sergio Buarque de Holanda, one of the most important Brazilian sociologists, also well-known as the father of musician and author Chico Buarque, Brazilians could be called the cordial people. With this concept of cordiality, Buarque not only addresses the Brazilian society's imperative of always pleasing the other, from the colonizer to their kids, but also highlights that the Brazilian population has never been through a formal institutionalization or professionalization process that encourages controlling one's emotions or the spiritual aspects of our lives. Sergio Buarque takes the word core, from Latin, to call attention to people guided by their hearts, for better or for worse. Showing emotions in Brazil is mandatory and very welcomed, even in the business environment, and this is the Brazilian emotional intelligence the whole world has a lot to learn from. Paulo Coelho and the Brazilian Emotional Intelligence When discussing Brazilian emotional intelligence in their intercultural workshops, Adrian and Mariana mention Brazilian author Paulo Coelho, known for his international bestseller, The Alchemist. With over 65 million copies sold and made available in 80 languages, it set the Guinness World Record for the most translated book by any living author. Quelliu is exalted by international readers for providing various spiritual aha moments about how to live life with meaning and universal connectivity. For most Brazilians, however, he simply translated the everyday knowledge about human belonging and energetic well-being that Brazilians learned from their grandmothers. Indeed, Quelliu is not as well recognized or admired in Brazil as he is in the rest of the world, and it's worth mentioning that there are Brazilians who dislike his work completely and do not see the value in it. Adrian and Mariano like to joke in their training sessions that Paulo Coelho is actually an excellent solution for a secularized modern world, where many people do not want to go back to an organized religion or a god, and welcome Coelho's ideas on spirituality instead. The Culture of Affection and Its Language Anyway, the point is, Understanding the inherent need to belong 
is an emotional intelligence embodied within the Brazilian cultural mindset. While many argue that belonging is a universal human need, the ways in which belonging is expressed and communicated are culturally contextual. For foreigners living in Brazil, it looks downright unprofessional and childish to see two female co-workers touching each other's hair during work hours. Similarly, it may seem incomprehensible to call your boss by an affectionate nickname. And yet, Brazilians cannot disassociate physical contact and verbal affection from creating a sense of place and acceptance in any kind of setting, which includes the office and workplace. It's no wonder then, that Brazilian Portuguese is a language that communicates an extremely high emotional intelligence, grounded in the fundamental importance for human connection. It includes several words to describe the complexity of human emotions, connections, and belonging. We have done our best to collect and translate some effective concepts, which are prerequisites to recognizing the depth and complexity of Brazilian emotional intelligence. Here are some terms we would like to highlight. Carente. While this adjective directly translates to needy in English, Brazilians use it to mean lacking affection or in need of attention, and the word doesn't necessarily have the same negative or judgmental connotation as the English translation does. It comes from carência, that is, to lack of something necessary, deprivation, a need for affection. Acarinhar. A verb that means to treat someone with affection, to spoil, to caress, to touch lightly, to stroke. Cafuné. A noun that means to gently run one's fingertips through someone else's hair or scalp. It's a caress in general, but it also means to cuddle or to pamper. Paparicar. A verb that literally means to eat very slowly but it affectionately indicates to dote upon, to spoil, to show affection towards someone. Someone may want to be pampered or spoiled, but the cultural subtleties for a verb like paparicar are so exquisite that translations in English just don't do the concept proper justice. Dar um cheiro An expression that literally translates into to give someone a smell. In cultural mindsets, based on reason and logic, smelling is usually reserved for foods and flowers, and certainly would not be considered for demonstrating physical affection or care. However, especially in the northeast of Brazil, dar um cheiro is used just as often as sending someone a hug or a kiss. Dengoso An adjective that means to act cunningly, sly, artful. Seductive and insinuating. Acarinhar. Cafuné. Dar um cheiro. These are examples of physical affection that expresses intimacy and a human connection that is not exclusive to lovers or romantic partners. Likewise, if someone feels carente and wants to receive more attention, they might put on a bit of a show and act a bit dengoso which doesn't necessarily have a sexual connotation. The Brazilian cultural mindset understands that physical and verbal demonstrations of affection and comfort are fundamental rituals for relational well-being. 
they directly contribute to one's sense of belonging. This differs drastically from cultures that highly value objectivity, where spoiling has an almost exclusively negative connotation, perhaps with the important exception of grandparents interacting with their grandchildren once in a while. This mindset also helps Brazilians become very good context readers. Since Brazilians share their emotions with others, even silently, they are able to read what is going on behind the scenes and between the lines in business situations, when many non-Brazilians aren't able to do so. That being said, the Brazilian emotional intelligence has many other applications. With the prevalence of social distancing and isolation in the pandemic, more than ever before, the world has woken up to the need for human contact, connectivity, and the consequences of a lack of affection. The feeling of belonging has taken on new meanings and definitions, as we navigate through our virtual and face-to-face -face worlds. Indeed, the language and soft skills of Brazilian emotional intelligence have much to offer the international community in these troubling times. Now, let's listen to Hoffa's conversation with Adrian and Mariana, as they talk about cultural intelligence and explore some examples. You can also watch the video version of their interview on YouTube. We left a link in this episode's description. We hope you enjoy their talk and reach out to share some examples of cultural intelligence related to your own background and languages. So I'm here with Mariana and Adrienne, and they have great information for language consultants, cultural consultants. I read the article. I really liked the, the topic of what they were talking about, and I wanted them to explain a little bit more of what they do and how they help clients bridge the gap between English and Portuguese, and they'll explain better than I could. So if you could introduce yourselves, and we'll just talk about the work that you do. Hi, everybody. Thanks for the invitation, Rafael. I am Mariana Barros. I am Brazilian, and there is 20 years that I've been working with what we call the development of cultural intelligence. Our main clients for sure are expats living in Brazil and Brazilian expats going abroad, but we also deliver training for groups and teams that are exposed to cultural differences. So basically what we do, and that's the sum up of the idea of cultural intelligence, is that we help people manage cultural differences. And those differences can be language differences, but we say we have this father of the field, Hofstede, that he says that culture is the software of the mind. So we kind of try to translate software <laughs> of cultures for uh, everybody who is exposed to cultural differences. Adri? Thanks, Mari. Hello, everyone. My name is Adrian Sweetwater. It's a real honor and pleasure to be with you all. And thank you, Hafa, for the kind invitation. As Mari, I work as an intercultural consultant. We are in a company called Diferrance, and we're based out of Brazil in Sao Paulo, but we work all over Brazil and all over the world with multinational clients. I have my master's in intercultural communication, which comes from a background of linguistics, but also psychology, anthropology, sociology. So it has the social science with the linguistics communication. And as Mari mentioned, we have a very diverse a number of clients and types of clients. So we get to be bridge people all the time. We're very passionate about this area of translating, not just the literal translation, but culturally, cultural translations of 
how businesses can be more culturally intelligent, how expat families can be more successful on their assignments. And it's a pleasure to get to talk a little bit more with you today about the article and some more intricacies of belonging, affection, and how language affects emotional intelligence as well. Great. Yeah, because I had an episode before about being a language consultant, and I talk about how some clients, they don't need the translation of a document, but they need to know if something feels right in the other language. So either for Brazil or either for the United States. So I do that kind of consulting for some of my clients when they have a new project, a new product, a new training that they have to go across the border and just uh, have a different target audience for that. But what you do goes a little beyond because you do a more of a holistic approach. You have more of a um, global view of what the clients uh, need to do. Is that correct? Yes, I would say that's correct. And maybe the translation you do in terms of language, does it feel right? We do this for behavior. Does this behavior seem to be right or feels right or more than that? Can you get results from this kind of behavior in a different culture? Yeah, I would say it's more of behavior-oriented translation. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I, I would just add, too, exactly that what we understand as cultural intelligence, it has to be effective behavior in the context that you want. You have to get results. So it's that combination of sort of heart, mind, language. Are they all in alignment? Are they working well for the business area that you're working in? And when when it's not working well, why is that and what are the adaptations that you can make in order to be more effective in the realm that you want? So oftentimes people will ask us, well, whose job is it to adapt to who? You know, if we have an expatriate family coming to Brazil from abroad, are they supposed to adapt to Brazilian culture or is their company's culture supposed to adapt to their foreign culture? And we say, well, it's up to whoever wants results, the best results. That's who needs to adopt. And ideally, it's a mixture from both sides, but we try to help facilitate that process. I also had another episode where I talked to an Italian translator that lives in um, Spain, and she was talking about how her personality, not multiple personalities, she's the same person, but pretty much she, for example, noticed that she starts swearing more in Spanish, and she doesn't do it in Italian. So that's uh, what we're talking about, how language kind of influences your behavior when you're bilingual or multilingual in her case, because she speaks English brilliantly. So we were just trying to touch that subject of how language kind of shapes you too. What was your experience talking to expats from uh, either side uh, when they uh, acquire a new language, when they're behaving uh, differently, and uh, if you notice any of that? Uh, sure. The writer Camus says that a second language is a second soul. And the more language you get, the more souls you get in your life. So definitely. And I could actually talk about multiple personalities. <laughs> yeah, that's not so wrong. But science is helping us with that. For sure, in the culturalism, we have this Wittgensteinian approach, which is language shapes the word you see. So yeah, because language they have the, the values that you bring to life and the way you see the world depends on the values you bring to life. So for sure, we have some uh, scientific experiments that shows that a person who speaks Portuguese and French, when they are speaking Portuguese, they tend to be nice. They're going to give an indirect negative feedback if they do. And when they are speaking French, they will use criticism. 
So, and we see this in children who are the most affected by speaking more than one language because then their brains really change. I don't speak English as a native. I learned English late in life. But if you have kids who speak more than one language as native, they for sure have more than one software running in their mind. So they will have more than one personality. It's very hard for parents to understand that. Yes. In addition to those multiple personalities, they bring multiple values, right? To the family, to their school environment. And I agree completely that we have multiple personalities depending on the language we're speaking. And I've, I've experienced that on a personal level and with the people that we work with. We hear it all the time that they, we have some clients that say they feel, for example, more extroverted in English because it's in a setting that they learned in school and they learned a system of values to speak out more, that it's okay to stand out more, maybe some more U.S. values about individualism that allows them to be more in the forefront. And yet when they're speaking Portuguese, they tend to have more of a group orientation. They'll step back a bit more. They'll pay more attention to what's happening in the environment, have a, a higher context read of a situation. So they'll be paying attention to the nonverbals. And yes, I think this is part of the beauty of being multilingual, working with people who also have multiple personalities because of multiculturalism many different softwares. And we also say sometimes that software like has a bug, right? So as we're moving through, you, you try to have that word you can't find or can't quite translate or a concept. How do you try to translate these cultural concepts for folks who maybe are monolingual or don't have the same access to cultural knowledge as you do as a more, as a bridge person? Yeah, because it's something so broad that you can't just read a book and understand everything about how to be Brazilian or how to be American. There's no way. It's just a trial by error, pretty much. The more experiences and interactions you have, the more you learn about it. So uh, I, I really appreciate that because, yeah, we, we talk about multiple personalities, but I think that if we have to talk about you know, psychology, psychiatrists, it's not that. It's just multiple identities, maybe, <laughs> because nobody's being Better diagnosed word. with multiple personalities. <laughs> But we do have different identities. And yeah, for example, um, when I'm speaking English, I'm more business oriented because I work in English every day. And then uh, more family oriented, it's in Portuguese. I can really only be a mother in Portuguese. So that's how I raise my kids because it feels weird when I'm speaking English to them. It's mostly when I'm like scolding them, when I have to say something in front of teachers or for dad to be on the same page if we're disciplining them. So it's the affection, also the language of affection that you have. And what is the kind of work that your company does to align then languages and cultures when working with companies and with individuals? Uh, we deliver workshops and trainings that are for sensitizing for cultural difference, first of all, because there are people that do not really understand that how culture, <laughs> culture are different, so that's the first thing we do, sensitizing to cultural differences. Then we always talk about cultural self-awareness. It's almost impossible to be empathic with other culture if you do not understand your own culture pattern. And then we start talking about other cultures, so how what's the American way, what's the French way, what's the Chinese way, and for that we use some methodologies very well known in the field, like cultural dimensions that we can compare values 
also developed different products for companies. So we produce cultural guides that are more appropriate for their profile of their workers, their employees. So we create, you know, cultural playlists, different activities to do, like multicultural calendars for companies to use with their employees as well, because we understand the development of cultural intelligence is a constant process. We're also always learning, and that's one of the beauties of our job, too. So we really try to foster that curiosity within our products and services as well. And then you mentioned, uh, well, Portuguese, of course, here in Brazil, and then um, English, French, and Chinese. Do you do other languages and cultures as well? Well, we work every day in Portuguese and English. Mari's fluent in French as well, and I have Spanish in my background. But we also work in partnership with other consultants around the globe who have other languages in their background. So that's a real honor when we're able to bridge people through not just the, the language connection, but their cultural connection as well. But predominantly, we work in English, Portuguese, French, and then Spanish. Okay, perfect. And are there any examples that you could give, of course, anonymously, but things that kind of um, stood out for you? throughout the years working in this uh, in this field? Something that you had um, some obstacles that you had to overcome with a client, corporate or individual, breakthroughs, some things that you had to figure it out to help them through this bridging the gap between the two cultures? I would say every day we have new examples come up and that's also a wonderful part of our job and our work. So one example, we do a lot of work with China and Brazil and there was a Brazilian company that was bought by a Chinese company. And part of that core value for Brazilians within their work culture was along the lines of just enjoy the ride. You know, it's really important within Brazilian culture to enjoy work, to have a, a light atmosphere with your colleagues. It has to be jovial. It can't feel like serious work. And so they have this as one of their core values. And it totally did not translate language or culturally wise to headquarters in China. So when we kind of were working with this partner, we really had to dive into like, what's behind the work culture in each of these two national cultures? Why is the concept of having fun at work maybe really difficult for a Chinese mindset to understand? Why is it so important for Brazilians to feel more lightweight at work? That's one example that comes up more frequently. Mari, do you have others? Sure. Again, as you mentioned, everyday examples, but what I always think is uh, style characteristics of communication. For instance, Americans, as you mentioned, are very business-oriented, so they will send us an email and they will say, please send me the report by Friday, and they don't ask our name, they don't say, hello, how are you doing? We Brazilians, we send hugs in the end of an email, and that's so weird for Americans. Those kind of things we are every day talking with our clients because people get offended because this more direct way of can be very aggressive or can be perceived as very aggressive. Whereas at the same time, we have our Americans or our European clients. Why do you take so long to bring a message and to say what you, oh, you want to say? And we can never trust Brazilians because they never mean what they say. And we have to say, yeah, indeed, you don't say no. And I was expecting something that you said you were going to send to me. And yeah, we don't say no. <laughs> it's very aggressive to say no in Brazil. So those 
the show. So how do you ask uh, Nutella Crest to be caprichado in English? Because you cannot ask for extra Nutella. That's not what you mean, because you don't want to pay for that. You just want that affection with the product. How do we translate that? So it, it just happened. <laughs> I think that, yeah, capricha, caprichar is one of the most um, difficult words for you to try to put it into a concept in English because you could come off very aggressive, like, do it better. Just, just try better. It, it's not that. It's, you know, caprichado is like, you know, do a good job, but you're not criticizing. You're just saying, you know, just help me out here and do something extra, but I don't want to pay extra, like you said. It's a very hard concept of, um, there's some others that I won't remember right now. It's just not about a word. You can find them in the dictionary. You can get a definition for it, but it just doesn't feel the same way, right? Yeah, that one, there's all this complexities too about creating that connection with the person who's providing that service to really do a nice job and you're you know, connecting with them in this very affectionate way, even though you don't know them necessarily, but you're counting on their extra attention. And there's not even a question that it would be strange to ask for that extra attention as a customer and when you use that word caprichado you know caprichai the other one that comes to mind that we see all the time is about work hours and people's cultural concepts about what it means to work past your certain time or not so you know we have this a lot with our brazilian clients who are working in europe for example who cannot get like their German counterparts to work past 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whenever the cutoff is. And it's very a different relationship with work because for our Brazilian counterparts, they may have been asked a last minute request from their boss or from a supervisor that it's not a question that you will stay later because there's a lot of hierarchy involved. It's a big project. It's the name of the company. There's this huge identity around it. And for the Germans, they're like, well, you guys didn't plan well. If you had planned better, we would know that's the time. It's the problems with you. You know, I have my family to get home to. And aside from that, with the Industrial Revolution, they will say people have died. They've lost their lives so that we can have restricted work hours. It's not going to be your request coming from Brazil that's going to get me to stay late. <laughs> you know, it's real issues that we have to deal with sometimes and try to help the develop some empathy on both sides because it can sound so aggressive or so offensive and really create business problems and affect the bottom line, affect results. So and Andre, you're mentioning hours, but we can just talk about time management, punctuality, how cultures understand that and how we use language to address that. For instance, do we have the same I'm arriving I'm arriving it means Soshegan it means now and the next two hours depending on our relationship depending what's going on and Americans Europeans they get really really confused with that or we say the part we start at eight but we do not expect people to arrive until eight thirty nine p.m and then how confusing that can be to a foreigner so those are again the issues from very very deep and complicated issues too but really in our training people get really mad with Brazilians because we have this flexible comprehension of time and they just don't get it because they feel it's a lack of respect they take it personally and that can become a very very 
important interpersonal conflict. <laughs> so yeah, those are the issues we address. Yeah, that's just fascinating because while you're talking about it, there's so many things that are just going through my brain because I've been living here for 20 years, so I am Americanized, but I'm still Brazilian. And my professional life, most of my professional life has been here. I started working as a translator, but freelance from home in the late 90s. So it's not like I had the corporate culture that I you know, had to go through when I was younger. So what I could say is that Brazilians, they do follow that schedule maybe a little better than Americans that, you know, if uh, an email comes in, oh, okay, I have to get it, even though it's 8 p.m., I have to answer my boss or whatever. And Brazilians are like, you know, especially back in the day when we didn't have, you know, streaming services and the attention was all, you know, divided. But no, it's, it's soap opera time. I'm watching the soap opera right now. I'm not going to answer, you know, a phone call from work or something because we didn't have, you know, emails as prevalent back then. But just thinking about that, you know, shift also, not just with the culture, but with the times, right? From the 90s to now, we're talking about 30 years now. So it's funny that we have this transition and how things change, not just because of different cultures, but how the technology and the way of doing things changed as well. So do you have anything that you would like to add to that? WhatsApp. I mean, everything in Brazil is about WhatsApp. And that's very hard for Europeans and Americans to understand that we do not send emails anymore. We only send emails for formalizing something. Otherwise, we like to solve everything by WhatsApp. And if you do not want to enter this network, it's going to be complicated to get results. <laughs> so WhatsApp has a lot to do with Brazilian culture because it's informal, it's fast, it's friendly, you're talking among your friends, there is no bureaucracy, no formality. We love WhatsApp, but for some cultures, it's hard to understand this idea. Yeah, if I could piggyback off that, I remember when I first moved to Brazil and was working in the corporate culture in Sao Paulo, and started getting added to WhatsApp groups, like office groups, friend groups, later came family groups, you know, and it was a total culture shock for me as a North American from this very individualistic culture, where we really only communicate for logistical reasons. All of a sudden, I was a part of all these groups that would just have a lot of unnecessary, you know, bon dia, good morning, like sending little cute pictures and hearts and flowers. And like, to me, it was very fluffy. And it took me a while to really start to understand the flow of WhatsApp groups and this group communication, because that's the other thing. WhatsApp has the ability to private message, but also to always have groups. And then there's usually subgroups of the groups. And that's the other thing, like, you have to learn. There's layers, right? It ties to this piece about belonging that I think is one of the main things that perhaps spoke to you too, half about the article. How language and culture affect our sense of where we belong and how we belong. And here you have been in the States for 20 years, but you are still Brazilian. And, and what does that mean when you're talking with your children? And what context do you switch? And I think it has to do with our expectations, right? We feel like we belong when we know what the rules are or when we know how to act. And when we're accepted for how we act, how our behavior is, how our language is. And when there's something that mismatches, we start to question if we belong or not. And that's a really big piece. Or when we get that email that sounds more aggressive than what we're used to, 
and we feel hurt by it. And those interpersonal questions start to come up. Or when someone's late as a punctuality piece and I feel disrespected, then I start to question, you know, well, wait a second, this person doesn't respect my time. They don't respect me. Do they belong in this culture or not, this corporate culture we're developing? I still find that piece fascinating. And I trip up. I've been in, living in Brazil for six years, very integrated. And I catch myself still tripping over that question about belonging. That's amazing because probably you experienced the same thing of how, oh, you're no longer one thing because you're not there physically in a country. So you're not, you know, part of this group because we all have the bias of how this culture behaves this way. So Germans are always punctual and very serious and Brazilians are always partying. So there's, of course, there's a stereotypical image that we have of cultures, but it's not exactly the same. So how can we just, you know, try to navigate through that, that, you know, just because you're not present in the country doesn't mean that you don't have those characteristics or just because you are from that country doesn't mean that you're always going to be like that. The punctuality thing in Brazil, yeah, you mentioned about the party. My cousin had a party. Oh, yeah, just show up at like eight o'clock or so. So we got there at eight o'clock, my American mentality. And by, you know, 1030, that's when the pizza arrived and I was hungry. <laughs> so it's like, I kind of lost that thing. I lost um, a more aggressive driving because in Brazil, we, the lanes are a little narrower. And I used to drive next to big buses, you know, going to college at night or something. I kind of lost that. So I freak out a little bit when I have to uh, go back and drive there. So all these things of how you, you lose some things and you gain some things. But then being here, I'm not really, you know, 100% American because I wasn't born here. I came here in my 20s. So it's the funny thing of how you have to just, you know, walk that fine line. So I can only appreciate what you do because each case is one case. You can't just have a template and say, okay, all our clients have to go with whatever we're saying here. That if you're working in Brazil, if you're working in the United States, in Europe, you can because you have to go case by case, right? Yeah. There's this piece in our field called do's and don'ts. So cultural do's and don'ts. It's that list. When you go to Italy, make sure you greet by giving kisses on the cheek instead of shaking hands. And there are things that we offer our clients because they sometimes want that. But we do always try to go deeper than that. It's a very surface understanding of how culture works. And it's not a good way to read the context, not a good way to have a case-by-case -case understanding, to be able to read each context in a more amplified way, to provide other cultural lenses through which to look at the same situation, so that they may better assess what the correct or appropriate behavior would be given on that context. We talk a lot about generalizations. We know that they're imperfect, yet necessary for our work. We always say that when you're talking about culture, two plus two is not four. It's not an exact science. However, we can provide some tools that will help a more amplified reading or perspective taking of any given situation. Yeah, I will just add that that's why we call it cultural intelligence, because it's an intelligence and it's dynamic. And the intelligence is about being able to read the context and understand what would be more appropriate in that context. And in Brazil, if you are in the north, sometimes uh, very Brazilian behavior will be more appropriate. But then if you are in the south, if you behave like a German, it would be better. <laughs> 
so the idea is using the intelligence of reading a context to adapt to this context. Or sometimes it might be just too difficult to adapt. Don't take it personally. Think it's offensive or that people are not uh, don't like you because they do not invite you to dinner or because they invite you to dinner and they take you home after the dinner has finished. More than helping people adjust or adapt, I think we help people not suffering the cultural shock. Because there is suffering there, right? You don't belong, you don't understand what's going on, you take it personally. So the idea is to help people know that culture matters. You should be aware that there will be some differences that you might as well learn, so you will suffer less. And enjoy more, for sure. Perfect. I think that sums it up because a cultural shock is the thing that you try to avoid. We try to avoid with language, but there's so much more that goes beyond what's written on the page or what is on a video training because I do a lot of video trainings for cultural sensitivity as well for companies that are here, based here and have a branch in Brazil. So they do a lot of that. And sometimes it doesn't really apply because we don't have those cases there as we do in the United States. So it, it goes beyond just what's written on a script. It goes by the unspoken behaviors, unspoken assumptions that you have sometimes about what's going on. And the cultural shock does come into that. Even though I already spoke English, even though United States, I mean, the culture is just known worldwide with movies and TV and music, there was a cultural shock once I started living here. Every day there was something new. And still, after 20 years, I think there's still some things, you know, here and there. But it's it's just fascinating, the work that you do. And um, if there's anything else that you would like to add, the floor is yours. I would just add a comment, Hoppe, about what you just mentioned, which is this piece that so many non-U.S. people feel very connected to U.S. culture because of the movies, series, and the music, and it is very globalized. And yet, that's one of the things we most like to demystify in our trainings, is we show cultural dimensions and flags of different countries and where they each are. And the U.S. is such an extreme culture on many of those dimensions, you know, one of the most individualistic, for example, one of the most direct communicating cultures as well, that in fact, Brazil goes even closer to some Asian cultures, it's closer to India, for example, is like really similar to values in Brazil. And this is really shocking for a lot of people a lot of the time, because you're not alone in your thinking or that initial feeling of, well, I speak English and I, I'm like acquainted with U.S. culture through Hollywood and other things. But of course, the day-to-day -day living is another story. And I certainly relate to that on the other side. <laughs> so I think that to us too, there is a saying in, in interculturalism, when in Rome, learn from the Romans and become a better person. So That's our idea with cultural intelligence is that you don't have to necessarily do what the Romans do, but you do learn from them and develop as a human being. And that's what I think we hope for for our work with our clients and our connections and partners is that we all are able to become better human beings and work together in a more effective way. I was going to use the Roman saying, then uh, what also comes to my mind is that uh, culture intelligence is only to address national cultural differences. Nowadays, we work a lot with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because uh, cultural intelligence is the ability to manage differences. 
It can be sexual orientation differences, ethnicity, ethnical differences, race differences, generational differences, so any kind of difference. So cultural intelligence is the ability to manage differences. This is what we try to do, help people to understand differences and manage those differences to for sure have a better life. <laughs> Perfect. That's the best explanation. And uh, I understand now what can be done beyond the language consulting that I provide, because there's so much more that outside the scope of what a translator does. But I would just leave that tip for some translators and interpreters that are already established in their field and would like to just learn more about the cultural aspect of it, not just for the immediate communication, but to facilitate more of a, an integration like you do. So thank you so much. This was just a really great learning experience for me. And thanks for the work you do, because it makes our lives easier, too, as translators and interpreters. Thank you, Hafa, for the invitation. It was an honor to be with you here today. Thank you so much, Hafa. Total honor, real pleasure, and very exciting to get to know another partner as well, and hopefully continue the work later on. Sure will. Thank you so much. Send us an email at arlombardino at wordawareness.com or leave a voice message on the Translation Confessional Anchor page. If we get enough feedback and voice messages, we can go back to this subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, our Anchor page is anchor.fm slash translation confessional. We look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.